0: Hi, you are listening to Serious Banter, a podcast at the intersection of business, entrepreneurship, tech, and popular culture. We bring together people with views worth sharing, and we banter. On today's episode, hosted by Justin, EJ, and Bola Lawal, we have a special guest. He is Efosa Ojomo of the Clayton Christensen Institute in Boston. Efosa has done a ton of work researching the subject of innovation And he co-authored the best-selling book, The Prosperity Paradox, with Professor Clayton Christensen, who sadly passed away not too long ago. Today, we will be talking about a central theme to Efosa's work, identifying non-consumption opportunities and market-creating innovations. This is serious banter. (laughs) Shall we begin?
1: All right, thank you so much for joining us. So, Justin, how do we start
0: this? Where where do you want to get this going from? So, let's get Efosa to tell the people in brief about himself, about the work that he does at the Christensen Institute. I'm sure a lot of people know Efosa, but, I mean... It's still better to hear an intro from you directly, Fosa, and then we will let you talk a bit about your thesis. I'm sure Bola and I will have a few follow-up questions. I've been reading your work. I'm a fan, and there are quite a few areas that I might have a little bit of a different opinion <laughs> and I'd like to talk us through. <laughs> you know? So, at this point, I that yield.
2: No problem, no problem, I think you know we're laughing, but the the difference of opinion that's how we actually make uh theories better. It's when people come like these seven things you wrote, but these three they didn't quite hit the spot what 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 are you thinking here how do you how do we make this better how do we apply this in this circumstance so' I'm excited to to engage on on a lot, especially those anomalies or things that would make better. quick background I am um, uh a research fellow at the Christensen Institute, been working here since I graduated from business school, and perhaps the, the biggest thing that's happened over the last year and a half is uh, Professor Christensen and I, uh, mean, so rest in peace, published a book uh, called The Prosperity Amen. Paradox, and since then, we've been really trying to get our ideas out there into the world, it's a different way of thinking about development, about innovation. I'm excited to, to be here. And apologies for the technical difficulties, but you know, <laughs> we're here. We're here. <laughs> it's Bola's
1: fault. It's Bollas' fault. We blame it. It's is that our is fault. It's not. <laughs> well, it's my fault.
0: It's my fault. Anything for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so all, if you would take us through what the central Theme of your work on innovation. I mean, Professor Cl- uh, Christensen was known for his various treatises on innovation, and you also told the same fact. And did you guys work together on that book? What is the central of the book, vis-a-vis your specific focus on how innovation correlates with corruption?
2: Let me start with the central theme of the book, then we can now in talking think about how it connects with different other uh, aspects, right, like corruption, institutions, infrastructure, and so on and so forth. Fantastic. Uh, the whole idea really is, you, know, when you when you think about poor countries, right, when you go to any poor country, they all look um, fairly the same. You see a lack of Infrastructure, a lack of, uh, you know, affordable housing, a lack of, a uh, good governance, uh, a lack of so many things, you know, ed- schools, hospitals, uh, and all these, a lack of these things that suggest development and prosperity. And so there is this sort of visceral reaction to provide. Resources in these, in these economies. So it could be a village, it could be a city, it could be a country. It doesn't really matter what the unit of analysis is. But when you go to a poor community, it looks, it looks the same, right? You you see, you know, people not wearing clothes, kids without shoes, no access to water, sanitation, all these things. And so there's a reaction to provide access to these things. And that's understandable. It's human, but our thesis is: look, by actually doing that, when that is the main strategy you have, that may lead to temporary success, but it doesn't build economies. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how many schools I give I I I, I give to a country or or how many hospitals I build. So, how many in the circumstance we're in now, how many ventilators Africa gets at the power. Yeah. If we don't build these things in a sustainable manner, then we're not going to make lasting progress. And that's really where the role of innovation comes in, right? That's where the idea of market-creating innovations, which is what Facade, the power comes in. And so if you're not thinking about... At least from a development standpoint, we can begin talking about entrepreneurship here shortly. But from a development standpoint, if you're not thinking, you know, how do I actually develop innovations that can be democratized and spread to as many people as
0: possible, Yeah, a lot of progress. And so that's that's the
2: general idea. Um,
0: Okay, just to um, clarify terms, right, we have a lot of young ones um, in this audience. We also have a lot of, it's a mixed multitude. We have experienced professionals, we have entrepreneurs. So I'm going to be trying to simplify some concepts. It might slow you down, please bear with us. But the important thing is to communicate the ideas clearly so people know what you're talking about. So when you say a market-making innovation, what is a market-making innovation? Probably that. with an example. Now, I didn't I didn't want to jump the gun on that.
2: So <laughs> chapter two of the book is, is is titled "Not all Innovation is created Equally." Now the reason we did that is connected to what you just said. There are so many different people, different views on what innovation is and what it means. And so what we had to do in that chapter is categorize uh, and define what innovation meant. And categorize it into different buckets. And so, the first type to get before I get to even market creating, let me let me give you a couple of others. The first type of innovation is called efficiency innovations. Now, these are innovations that help us do more with less. And so, when you hear that um, Ethiopia, for instance, is industrializing fast, and there are a lot of textile manufacturers in Ethiopia. That's an example of an efficiency innovation, right? You, you, you have companies that outsource operations to other regions. They take advantage of lower wages and they improve their profit numbers. With efficiency innovations, you typically don't expand the size of the market. You sell to existing customers and you make more profits. So it frees up cash flows. These are efficiency innovations. The second type are sustaining innovations. Sustaining innovations make good products better. Okay. And so if you think of cars nowadays, some of them might have um, a feature uh, that allows you to do automated driving. Some may have uh, heated seats, adaptive cruise control, you know, Apple play and so on. Right. These features don't fundamentally change the function or purpose of a car, getting you from point A to point B, the basic utility. Yeah, they make yeah. it better. They make the experience better. Now, sustainable innovations keep companies vibrant. You know, engineers want to work on the best and hardest products. Companies make these uh, innovations and they sell to uh, their most demanding customers—people uh, who want more features, bells and whistles but again they don't really expand the market you know they are sold to people who can already afford existing products on the market and so these are the t- the first two types right efficiency and sustaining it's important that we understand what those two are because the it it really shows the impact of market creating innovations when we get there so now okay. market creating innovations these are innovations that transform complicated and expensive products into products that are simple and affordable right and they make they increase the access uh, for people that can afford these products so examples of market creating innovations if we the computing industry 70 years ago 80 years ago if we wanted computers you'd need a million dollars you'd need a big room you'd need Uh, technical experts to go in and uh, operate these machines. But today, billions of people across the world have computers in their pockets. Right? Now, notice that notice that innovators did not wait for the world to get wealthy enough till everyone could afford a mainframe computer that could be sold for a million dollars. Instead, they looked at what we call non-consumers, people who could not afford uh, existing products on the market, they figured out a way to develop innovations uh, that served them. Right? It's a fundamental difference. Now, as you do that, as you create new innovations that serve more and more people, what ultimately begins to happen is the process of development. Right? There are many more examples. Uh, if you look at even Africa, our, our continent, years ago when you wanted to go and start selling cell phones to the average African they would have laughed at you they laughed at people who wanted to do it but today the story is different that's the market creating innovation proliferation of mobile phones on the continent it's the it's the single um, biggest market creating innovation that I'm aware of that has happened in in virtually every country on the on, on the continent Right. There are some innovations that have happened in Nigeria, some maybe in Kenya, some in South Africa, but the one that the whole continent shares are the mobile phones, and we look at the impact that has had on the economy. By some estimates, it's worth that industry is worth 150 billion dollars, employs three million people um, directly and indirectly, and provides billions of dollars in taxes to government every year right and that's the impact market
0: creating innovations can have fantastic i feel like i'm actually driving you to the core and i'm not letting you build up to it so i'm going to bite my tongue and just let you expand on your thoughts before i start with my barrage of questions is that okay
2: that's fine that's fine
1: (laughs) Saying, out. I'm the quiet one today. I knew you would be able to help yourself. I knew it.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, those are the types of innovations. Now, when you look at the impact of market-creating innovations across time, what you see is many prosperous countries today, right, from the U.S. to Japan, South Korea, invested in market-creating innovations, right? There's this, there's this idea that we have to fix a country uh, before it can absorb innovations, right? So we have to build good governance. We have to build all the institutions. We have to build all the infrastructure. We have to build the entire systems that can absorb innovations, capital, investments, and so on. But that thinking, we have that thinking backwards because the development industry essentially tries to invest in all these things. I mean, they invest in institutional reform, anti-corruption. I mean, invest a lot of money in anti-corruption measures and programs work to build infrastructure, right? Uh, How many roads uh, do we try to build? How many uh, schools, how many hospitals and clinics so we're working to build a society that can absorb innovations when we should be developing innovations that would ultimately build society. So we really have the equipment, And it's one of the biggest things I'm trying to, to – the biggest ideas I'm really trying to spread is if we step back and focus on market-creating innovations – we will have a better shot at creating prosperity
1: as a result reducing poverty okay. can i ask one question how do you identify market creating uh, innovation what what top process or what steps should you naturally take to identify one if I mean, obvious look
2: many many are are idiot simple i don't think in fact, we have a paper coming out that that has a section on this, uh, that, that the question you just asked. Uh, and the section is, it's a framework for developing innovations that target non-consumption. The first is to identify, identify the non-consumption. And what we mean by non-consumption is simply when there's a large group of people in a society that would benefit from gaining access uh, to a product or service, right, but due to certain barriers they can't then you you've identified non-consumption and and then these barriers are typically money, right is the most obvious one but not just money right money access or uh, availability the product is just not available close to where you are you have to go to a centralized location to get it time there so the product is available or the service but it takes way too much time to consume it and skill So it's available, but it just takes way too much skill. And so you might get it, but you you can't really use it well. Those are sort of the main barriers to consumption. Uh, Once you identify non-consumption, right, that's sort of the first step. That's a way to identify it, right? Um, You look at what are the barriers to consumption. The second is you, you can look around for workarounds. What are people doing? As a workaround that can give you a clue that they would want much better solutions. So, brother Justin just said, you know, we're using Twitter in a way that it wasn't really designed or optimized for. You've got some text, live video, the old. Well, that's a workaround. And so, Mm -hmm. are there enough people trying to do what you're doing so that that then leads engineers at Twitter to develop a product that makes this seamless? Right, mm-hmm. uh, so that's an example in this circumstance. In many emerging economies, you see a lot of inefficient workarounds that people employ. I'm sure you know the, the practice of, of Os- osusu, where yes. you know people put money together, and then you know uh, one month it's I, I take the pool, the next month you know someone else takes the pool, and that simply is non non consumption of affordable and available capital right so that's that's another one there are a few others examining struggles struggles in your life struggles in other people's lives right what do what do you wake up and what are you averse to doing what do you hate doing um, that's a clue that look there's there's an opportunity here to develop innovations and so again i don't know that there are sort of there's there's a secret formula it's really just observing how people live their lives engaging with people in a particular context and understanding their struggles once you identify a struggle you ultimately would see that there's a ton of opportunity for market creating innovations to emerge and so that that's how i would say you would identify market creating innovation opportunities
1: Okay. okay i have a i have a follow-up real quick uh someone asked that so the goals of market creating innovation affordability and accessibility help us. so i guess what you're saying is the is it just because of are barriers to affordability and accessibility that's how you can identify it,
2: it depends right there might be barriers to things that i have no i have no business consuming um mm. and if you remove those barriers i'm still not going to consume them i mean how many people do you know Uh, maybe you're even one of them who maybe the barrier to actually wake up and go to the gym is just it's too high right first you have to you need need time you need money for the gym membership you need to fight traffic you you get there you work out you suffer and then some people say you know what i'm going to bring the gym home i'm going to buy a treadmill i'm going to buy a bike but they still don't get up and work out the reason for that is not because, you know, there are, there are really no barriers anymore, right? The gym is in your home. But there's no struggle. There has to be a struggle component. And, and in terms of innovation, that is the most important component, is struggle. And when you step back and look at national development strategies, projects that are employed, they are often solutions that are looking for problems, they are not problems looking for solutions uh, and that's why many uh don't really move the needle on on uh prosperity
0: yeah um first i'd like to come back into the conversation at this point uh, because All you've right, actually so. touched you <laughs> you've actually touched on the 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 area that I still have some dissonance. So when I said earlier on that I, have, I don't really have a difference of opinion per se, because I do agree with your framework, right? Um, I agree I agree with the principles that you've set out when it comes to um, innovation. My challenge is that when I apply it to the context, which incidentally is your own primary objective, national development, right? How do we employ innovation? where you are saying that listen guys, we have this thing in reverse order. You cannot be talking about fixing corruption first before you innovate. You should innovate your way out of it. Use innovation to eliminate the frictions in consumption like you are referring to right now. Uh-huh. I agree I I, ag- <laughs> I, <laughs> I agree with that framework. But here's my challenge. I think from my experience in Nigeria, as a Nigerian living in Nigeria, with the problems that are common to us. I find that when I try to apply that framework, it falls flat. And why does it fall flat? The very nature of I believe okay, so let me put it this way. I think everything rises and falls on leadership. Mm, Okay. And that you cannot innovate your way out of a situation where policy which should be the solution to those struggles that you mentioned right policy interventions have rather become weaponized that is in contrast to a situation where there are policy gaps there are frictions created by a passive pol- policy environment or a negligent policy environment where people are not doing what they are hello? supposed to do hello are we still together okay F- can you hear me yeah i
2: can hear you now i think lo- i lost you for a second you lost me for we were a minute Policy being weaponized. This is exciting and engaging. I love it. Come on, keep going. <laughs> keep going. But I knew we we'll, would we'll get here. Justin, we'll just just make sure you land properly because when you land, you're coming
0: for you. You're coming for me. <laughs> all right. I'm, doing, I'm doing sign of the cross, but I'm all <gasps> with my chest.
1: I, I knew we are going to get here.
0: <laughs> so here here's the thing, Ephosa for me, right? Where there are gaps and where friction and struggles are created by those gaps ordinarily innovation should be able to pull us out of the rocks but when i look at my country and when i look at a lot of african countries right and let me start pulling out all my get out of jail free cards before you come for me you you quote mo ibrahim a lot so let me also make reference to mo ibrahim before i i I land so for several years mo ibrahim has not been able to identify a candidate for his prize for leadership in africa right because there's simply no one going back to me saying everything rises and falls on leadership now nigerian leaders nigerian politicians people in policy making positions have weaponized policy to maintain a status quo that is rapacious that is predatory that is not designed to move the needle forward so what happens even when there are pockets of innovation is that policy targets you and comes for you. We had this conversation, myself, Victor Asemota, and um, Bola and a few other people. Incidentally, we were having a similar conversation. And case in point was, in Lagos States, we had ride-hailing companies spring up to address the paucity of urban transport infrastructure, right? So you had the, the Gokadas and the rest of them. And what happened? Absolutely. The Lagos State government swept the rug out from under their feet. Now, Someone argued and counter that, well, in the first instance, that those innovations were not the real solution, right? In other words, that the ride-hailing companies were a walk-around, that that wasn't the real solution. And I say that doesn't obviate my argument. My argument is that in an environment where policy has been weaponized, it doesn't matter how innovative you are in pockets. If leaders have not made a conscious effort to allow it to thrive as an instrument of development it will not even yeah. when you bring the example of south korea right yeah. south korea came from a very nasty place but it took at some point a consciousness at the policy making level that we need to do things differently before they could turn things around so tell me FOSA, this is my problem i agree with the <laughs> framework. <laughs> I agree with this framework, 100%. But when I apply it to this environment where, like I said, policy has been weaponized, it oh, won't God. work.
2: Okay. So, <laughs> you are... Uh, Where's my bulletproof vest? Please.
0: No, <laughs> no, 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 this is,
2: this is This is how we learn. This is how we learn. Yep. This is how we learn. Now there
1: are several responses i'll give to oh, one. we, we right. lost justin justin will come back we'll keep going okay. and after this after your response i'll start bringing i'll uh, add one more person so we wanted you to yeah. have enough time to land very well before we start adding so we can add three add t- in, in addition to you two at a time so we'll be rotating so but we wanted okay. you to land, so sorry no problem. for that Go ahead.
2: so so this is a this is, is what what a sneak attack on but the, no, bro, no, uh, bro,
1: bro, bro. but but, but you capable, anyways. Bro, but that's <laughs> not it, but you're capable.
2: <laughs> no, so 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 what Justin has said, eh, he will be surprised that <laughs> I the I, I I don't disagree with with your your fundamental thesis in that at the end of the day, the government in most countries they they are what decide. What goes and what doesn 't right, and so yeah. if I develop an innovation and they don 't allow it thrive, there is no amount of how do I make it sexy i mean to to, to incentivize them i mean in other words governments this this theory only works in s- certain circumstances right and my argument is, my argument is, it does require a circumstance where institutions are are inclusive. So hello, to speak.
0: am I back? Where we have you know
2: Western Western style institutions or what what we would say developed country institutions. You see the way Justin, the way you asked your question, right? You you already sort of put yourself in a corner you you already said you said look how can this work when no matter what i do the government's job is to kill it i mean mm-hmm. if that's the question you ask then this theory cannot work in i mean there should not be any market creating innovations in nigeria if that is the way you ask your question there should there should not be any products or services that the masses in Africa can afford you know because because you by asking that question you sort of box box yourself in a corner and say no matter what I do the government wakes up every day and they want to destroy it so they will destroy it a better way to ask which which I think you and I are not in too much disagreement What I hear you saying saying is, Efosa, I hear you, but this is incredibly difficult in the circumstance in which we find ourselves. And we find ourselves in a circumstance where the government tries almost everything to block us, to take us out. Now, if that is what you are saying, then I will agree with you. But then I will also say it is your job as an innovator, as an entrepreneur, to figure out how to engage with the government so they don't block you. Now, the reason I say that is we have the luxury of looking at wealthy countries today and we see the way things work and we say, why can't we just be like the U.S., be like even South Korea, be like Japan? The problem is, number one, when the U.S. had demographics that looked like ours they were not like they were not like the us is today many people in america could not vote women could not vote till the 1920s blacks were disenfranchised till, till, till the 1960s if you look at schools when you, when you talk about education if we look at schools in the late 1800s early 1900s in the us they, they were ramshack one school, one room buildings, education was subpar. The average woman in the early 1900s had five, six kids in the U.S. Life expectancy was 45, 46 years. I mean, there, there were a lot of problems in the country. Corruption ran rampant in, in the country. Yeah. Um, now, there's a new book uh, coming out, uh, it's already out by Yuan Yuan An, and it talks about how do you grow when uh, there is actually corruption. And The title of the book is, give me one second, China's Gilded Age. It's sort of the paradox of corruption and growth.
3: And uh, what she tries to
2: uncover is, look, we have, it's similar to, I uh, think we have the equation wrong. We look at transparency international... Wow. We look at World Bank Doing Business Index. We look at uh, World Governance Index, and we say rich countries have taken care of corruption. They've built institutions. They are doing well. Poor countries. Why don't you be like them so you can grow? And she says that that's not really the way the world worked, and that's not the way it works. You you know, you can't simply say you root out corruption and then you grow. Instead, what you have to do is identify understand corruption first why is it in play why are all those government officials you talk about incentivized to block you are they are they mental what <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, these, these are these these are the questions you have to ask right and we we try to address actually. it you don't know some of some of them are but you see um insanity is not It's not something that's isolated to Nigerians. I think there are mental people everywhere in the world. But what we are trying to do here is simply say, the way we pretty things up in papers is not the way development happens. Happens. It's not the way it happens, right? It's it's not not linear. It's not linear. It's a very messy process. And perhaps my writing emphasizes the role of innovation so much because there's there's so much other noise that emphasizes the role of institutions and policy. I mean do we honestly believe that people don't know they should not steal money? That people don't know that going to a business and and vandalizing it as a government official is not a good thing. Like I mean If you went to their homes and you did the same thing, would they enjoy it? I mean, people know these things aren't good. The question, right, as a researcher, um, and in this context, as an entrepreneur, you have to ask is, when I set up this business, what is going to be the likely response from the government considering the context I work in? Now, I think it's fair to say the likely response is they're going to come and give me trouble. Now, you ask why. Well, when you look at how much the federal government um, spends per citizen in Nigeria a year, it hovers around $200. About 50 to $60 of that goes towards servicing debt. So they've not started paying salaries, they've not started paying building new roads, schools, hospitals one hundred and fifty or so dollars per person per year is what they have to spend on everything on education for our kids and hospitals and so on. Now when you look oh, at when wild. you look at the countries we are comparing ourselves to, right? When you look at mm. say uh France, it's around twenty two thousand dollars, Belgium twenty-three thousand, Sweden, right? You are looking at twenty seven thousand, Denmark thirty thousand, America, twenty thousand. So when you look at those transparency international uh, indices, you look at the world governance indices, and they say oh, Nigeria is at the bottom or Somalia and, and, and so on, and then these other countries are at the top, what they are missing is how much are these countries spending per citizen. Now, the other thing I would, I would, I would highlight real quick is we have some research that will probably be coming out in another two to three months that says, okay, we talk about market-creating innovations a lot, but let's dig a little deeper and, and really uncover some insights. And so we looked at uh, 100 market-creating innovations from the 1700s to, like, like present day. And we said, yeah. what did some of these American innovators, European innovators, and, I mean, all these countries and regions that are prosperous today, what did they have to do back in the day Um, and we realized many of them had similar issues. They had to figure out how to deal with the government. They had to invest in their own infrastructure. They had to build out uh, their supply chains, distributions. Many of the struggles entrepreneurs have to deal with today in poor countries. And so all that to say, it doesn't explain bad behavior. What it What I'm trying to do is uh, illustrate and highlight why it happens and how it is incumbent on us to figure out ways
0: to subvert that bad behavior. So one of the things that comes to mind in that respect is, which is something, incidentally, I preach, proactive regulatory engagement, right? So knowing that the policymakers will do as they do it is incumbent on me to proactively engage. Okay. So if yeah. if I'm, operating, I'm lobbying, I'm bribing, I'm bribery, right? Right. So <laughs> that is
2: what, that is what, that is what, um, look,
0: look sometimes all what, in the
1: same. the same. So, so, so we, we, real quick, real quick. We have our Chika join. I that point. Maybe we can allow Chika to chime in real quick and then we'll, we'll keep going from there.
2: Well, sorry. Okay. I was just going to say that is what this China's Gilded, Gilded Age talks about, right? She says, we are now letting rich countries uh, off the hook. It looks as if there's no corruption that happens there. However, what we call corruption or bribery, they call lobbying. Lobbying. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, if I, if I try to call my, my, my congressman or woman in, 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 in the U.S., I, I guarantee you they will have me leave a message. But if I donate $1 million to their campaign or a super PAC that's supporting them, and I would like them uh, to give me 30 minutes of their time, I mean, they are going to respond. So I mean, what do that. Right? that? It, it's simple. So the, the point is, as a researcher, right, think of it as science. And, you know, when you are studying cancer, you don't ask, man this cancer shouldn't be here this person was such a nice person they did everything <laughs> right like this this is not this cancer shouldn't be here and so you get mad at the cancer instead what you what you do is you say why is this cancer here how does this cancer metastasize how can i stop it how have other people stopped it we can hear and and what we've tried to do with our research is say in the in the context of corruption and governance How have most countries, not all, how have most countries figured out this corruption thing? How have they improved governance? And I don't know of a circumstance where they've done it without innovation playing a big role. Now, there are a few that we point to, you know, the Lee news of the world. But you see, number one, (laughs) that is like pointing to people that win the lottery. And then you raise your kids and say, hey. You know, everybody but should win a lot but it. you can win the lottery, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, the, the Singapore won the governance lottery in that context. But the second thing is they also focused on innovation. And so no matter how you slice it, you can't get around doing innovation, doing the hard work of innovation.
1: Yeah. Th- th- thank you, Efosa. So, Chika, this is your time to shine. <laughs> it's going to be round, Robin, so get as much as you can get out. Uh, no,
3: no, no, I so. will. It's been it's been a privilege to listen to what you were saying. I I read your book, and I, I definitely understand. I've have read a lot of content around understanding how innovation, non consumable, non consumption innovation, can create markets. So on, on two things, two fronts. I, I I totally agree with the idea that uh, developing or developed countries have essentially institutionalized corruption right so that the systems that allow things to happen are more facilitated around known 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 realities of how you proceed through the system right so if you want to like as you mentioned if you want to talk to your congressperson, you can go and <laughs> donate a million dollars and through a super pack and you can have dinner with them right and these are known things this is how you play the rules ex- the rules exist The funny thing is that lobbying as a concept is also illegal in Brazil, right? So the whole concept of super PACs in in the United States would be considered illegal in Brazil. So it's one of those things where I think, you know, we have to also question now who has a who has a who has a monopoly on the morality of what corruption or definition of what corruption is, right? But what that means exactly. for startups in a fundamental sense is I, I, t- I totally agree it's one of these things when we talk to startups I, I I work with, I advise and invest in startups, and one of the things that we talk about is, you know what are some things you're going to have to build on your own, some early on because the infrastructure is not there. you know a lot of yeah. people are talking talking about, okay, we have to build a talent pipeline, we have to train our talent, et cetera, et cetera. but the real reality is that the way to engage policymakers is the, the, the channel to direct or to engage policymakers is just not there. And you kind of have to build that competency on your own as an early stage startup. And it's really hard to do that. And there's no one really talking about it in that way. But as you start to educate and, and improve the understanding of what you know your business model is around with people that are creating policy, the hope is that through your success, you can start to essentially enforce or become a key stakeholder in how policy is being crafted in your industry or market. It's just that startups have to do it a lot earlier in a lot earlier in markets like Nigeria. And that's just something we don't talk about as much.
2: In fact, Chica, thanks for mentioning that. I if if I were starting a company in in, in Nigeria, that company would probably start trying to do one thing. Only one thing, do it really, really well. But as that company is starting, one of the first roles I would hire for is what I call a chief government officer. It's now, I, I, I actually, when we were writing the book, we, we actually thought about including a chief corruption officer. And the, 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 the job of that person would be to make sure the company was in good standing with the government, But I think that title sounded a bit too provocative. So I think a chief government officer works. You see, when you operate in a context where you... So we don't have to guess anymore. Where you know the government's job is to wake up every day and figure out, how can I make Chica's life more difficult as he's trying to invest in startups? He's trying to build uh, people, build companies... When you know that, there's ample evidence, then when you know that, then I think it's incumbent on you if you decide to play in that context to also wake up every day with that knowledge and then say, hmm, if I know the government's job implicitly or explicitly is to try and figure out how to disturb me, how can I guard against that? Now, this does not make it right. This does not make it easy. But these are just the realities. It's it's why I use the analogy of cancer. And I say, when you know cancer has come and it has inv- it has visited you, you don't wake up saying, "Oh, it's not fair. It's not right. Look at what I did. I'm a good person." What you do is you say, "Cancer has decided to visit me. I need to figure out how to. I need to figure out how to respond. How to fight back." And
0: if I make Sorry, go ahead. I I was just going to introduce a very apt analogy for that. So, what you're describing is the lion and the gazelle in the safari. Um, Exactly. The gazelle wakes up in the morning and he knows he needs to start running because the lion is going to wake up and start running. And somebody is going to be somebody's lunch. Where the startup is the proxy for the or the gazelle is the proxy for the startup and the entrepreneur. We know this is going to come. So, we just have to keep running.
2: Yeah. And 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 look some it it doesn't make it right but but what what i will what i will argue is over time as governments benefit from your innovation and by benefit what do governments ultimately want they want more money they want more relevance they want the recognition recognition if the governor, if the government knows if chica's companies succeed, we get an extra ten percent bump in taxes it again, it doesn't guarantee that they, that they would uh, act more likely I think they are more likely to act right and so I think this this the, these are some of the simple ideas I'm hoping uh, we can begin to spread
0: so so uh, that's that's actually the very core of my dilemma. Let me call it dilemma now, right? Because a rational government would want to make more revenue. Right? Would allow enterprises to thrive. Well, deepen the well, tax base. You know
2: well, well just justin, just, let me let me say let me say maybe maybe I, I I've I've done myself and I've done this conversation a disservice by by saying government because we often a government it's an abstract entity uh that it's is human beings
0: themselves. exactly yeah. Exactly. it is, it's it human is beings. you know so
2: these you know so, so 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 a rational person in government simply put wants to go home on tuesday richer than they were on monday simple they don't want some Oh, if, if we allow Chica's company grow for five years, it's gonna increase our revenues by no no no. That person
4: may not be in power in
2: five years. That person yeah. may be set out next week. So they are thinking about their circumstance today. And we have to remember these are a the majority of these are poorly paid people. They are poorly paid. And so the only rational thing for them to do is figure out who who they can simulation short term, up, right? It's it's the only rational thing to do. Now it, it, it it's not the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. There's no it's not right, but it's rational. When when we begin to understand that, and then when we also begin to understand on the high end, right, the the governors, so to speak, who are in positions to actually change the system, or at least have more power to, they lack the incentive to change the system. They are very well paid. Uh, many of their kids are out of the country studying, ex- enjoying yep. healthcare, care. They live uh, with 24 hours electricity, with generators. Um, they lack the incentive. Um, and let's not forget, many of them have gotten to power by making deals and so one of the first things they have to do when they get to power is to settle on some of those deals. And so when we actually Absolutely. think about the government as human beings who are operating on a set of incentives, they've made deals, they have their, 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 yeah. their list, you know, it, it becomes difficult.
3: Yeah, no, I think, you know, it, it also shows, you know, it goes back to that question we were talking about, you know, what does government relations versus, you know, bribing versus all of these things look like? What does that actually look like when you're in interfacing with a pol- like a policy from a policy perspective for an early stage company? The reality of the fact is that, you know, most companies are cash trapped to begin with. So when we talk about short term, when we talk about like short term transactional opportunities, there's probably not many. It becomes more about how can you, you know, how can you? the The challenge becomes how can you create value in the long term? How can that? That's where you wanna, as a startup, that's where you wanna play. You wanna play. We can create value in the long term, you know. But it also, like, for from a startup's perspective, it becomes more about how how can you negotiate or how can you demonstrate value, pres in the present, in a way that will get people aligned to your to your opportunity and to support your policy positioning if you're going that route um, so it's a, it's a it's a challenge it's a challenge and i just before i jump off i just wanted to mention on the on the the market creation non non consumption market creation opportunities one of the things that i'm really interested in outside of you know kind of what has been done in the i guess like the financial services space is building up more digital infrastructure for how people are interact, how marketplaces are interacting in, in healthcare, how marketplaces are interacting in, 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 in education, how marketplaces are interacting in, in, in construction, logistics. All yeah. of these things are market creation activities. And the challenge is that no one really thinks about, um, no one really thinks about fundamentally the digital infrastructure required to get these people to talk together. And when Did you create-
1: expand on the, the digital infrastructure, expand on it.
3: Okay so digital infrastructure what i mean by that is i think one okay so in the united states there's an underlying technology that is 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 out for like healthcare called fire and that's one of the things that's going to determine how data gets sent around to different people within the healthcare ecosystem so for example you have your payer provider consumer insurance all of these different people have to interact within the specific framework of uh, what fire is Um, And so the data gets sent and the data gets sent to these different people on, on this protocol. Right. So the challenge with, you know, this protocol has been selected and, you know, everybody's going to try and build on it in, you know, in, in the next couple of years. But the challenge is that, you know, who's putting in the initial investment to decide that this protocol is going to be the common language for how all of these people within the ecosystem interact. Right. So there's, you know, that's an example of something that, Someone has to either, you know, from an open source perspective or a company has to say, we're going to invest in this standard or protocol, and then we're going to get mass adoption, right? And so one of the things that I'm looking at is that as we look at, you know, for example, education records, right? How do we, you know, how do we have a common language for everyone that has to have access to education records to ensure that everyone has, you know, these type of this type of information and you know around performance, attendance, course performance, et cetera, et cetera. And how do those things kind of and how do those, you know, how do those people, how do those stakeholders talk to each other? And then once there's a common language, what value can be created on top of that language that is valuable to everyone else? Right. And so those are the kind of things that I'm looking at in the next probably five to ten years as investment opportunities, people that will build that digital infrastructure that will allow marketplaces to communicate in ways, not just through payment and commerce, not, th- not just through payment, but through data, through data sharing, through, you know, collaboration, different, different ways like that and help. There's anything about cloud? Is it's, it's, it's cloud. It, 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 part of it is cloud too. Part of it is being able to, that, that goes even further up the value chain into, you know, having conversations about different countries being able to manage their policy and not just their manage their like national cloud instead of having to have data stored in you know europe europe or something like that so those are all the things
1: i mentioned cloud because yeah you're singing in uh
3: justin's ear (laughs) (laughs)
1: That, that, that was like but those
3: are those are the things from a from a market creation perspective that's that's we have to invest in digital infrastructure and and from the physical like cloud perspective that's one part of it but there's even if you move down the value chain there's just protocols and pipes that have to be built so that it's easier for people to to work together in a specific market
2: so so i know you're about to run you know one of the things we 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 wrote about in our book is chapter 10 it's right? mm. on infrastructure right yep. uh, the book is the prosperity paradox it's on infrastructure oh, I, remember, I remember that chapter we define infrastructure as the most efficient mechanism in which a society has figured out to store or distribute value, right? Now, mm-hmm. when, when I think about Nigeria and Africa and many emerging markets needing a digital infrastructure, the question that comes to mind is what value is going to be stored or trans or distributed on that infrastructure and as it stands today when i think about the investment necessary to build an infrastructure like what you're talking about see a ton of value that we are currently storing or distributing now what what i would then do is, is is not say oh we don't need this digital infrastructure no what i would do is say where are Nigerians having problems storing or distributing value? And what digital infrastructure can we build to support that? That is why there's a lot of investment going into payments, right? Yeah. It's not because people just love, like people, we don't know how to spell payments. It's, it's, because, <laughs> it's because when you look at the stress in going to a bank, in financial services, in paying for goods and services, storing, distributing money, It's incredibly difficult. And so we are pumping billions of of dollars into that sector. I don't see, I could be wrong, I don't see the same stress in healthcare. I'm beginning to see some of the stresses in logistics where we are now trying to leverage some digital uh, infrastructures to help us make that more efficient. And so I would always start with, where is that struggle where is their non consumption and how can i then build in the in the context of infrastructure build an infrastructure
0: that can help me store or or move that value around so you're advocating a case specific micro level approach as different from the top oh, down approach
2: oh oh in fact justin you, you, we need, we need to write something together. That was beautiful, the way you said it. <laughs> you guys, you guys, need, we should. definitely need to connect after this. For sure. That was beautiful. I that is it. exactly what I am. That is exactly what I am. I am advocating.
1: Huh. It's so, exactly so, course, what I'm
0: advocating. Because, <laughs> so it, it plays into the, because, I, really, because that's about the only hope there is i I was listening to both of you um talking and i was looking at your the 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 article there was this article you wrote the h attributes of successful market creating um innovations right and i was asking myself so where is the solution inside this thing because i know that i agree with this framework but i just can't seem to find a way to make it work here and I was just looking at um, an emergent strategy. When you talked about targeting non-consumption, uh, that when targeting non-consumption, innovators you know, typically employ an emergent strategy because they are going after markets that are undefined. So when you think about this and you think about the fact that typically regulation, which is the weapon of policy, plays catch-up to innovation, right? Taking it back to the analogy yes, of the yes. lion and the gazelle, the only way to survive is to stay ahead, right? So so you're always on the fringes, always pushing the fringes of the norm. Because that way, no matter how malicious policy is, it will need to understand what you're doing before it can create interventions that might exactly. disrupt what you're doing, yeah? Exactly. Exactly. When you can, eh? when you can,
2: get, 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 get the government... Uh, Get get the government on your side. You know, I, I think we we have to figure out how to how to see the government intervention as as a, as an interesting puzzle that we have to solve. Because the fact of the matter is, it is not today you and I have been talking about how the government's time is progress, how they don't they don't allow businesses and the private sector thrive. I mean it's not today. Uh Um, And so if we've been talking about this for decades, and from what I see, it only seems to be getting worse, then maybe we we should start focusing on, all right, we've been trying to convince them, we've been trying to beg them, we've been trying to plead with them, let us now try to incentivize them very directly. Now, if we try to do that, if we go to the Lagos State government and say look there's a company i'm setting up if you allow that company to operate you tomorrow will get 200 dollars extra and i mean you do do with it what you will that's your business but this is what i'm bringing to the table if they if they say no then now we know we have a more spiritual problem you know <laughs> because that, that that even that wouldn't make sense to me because that that's that's the limit of our research quite frankly I mean I I don't know I mean that's the limit uh, of our research uh, uh, uh,
0: <laughs> I, I would submit that that's actually where we are and that's probably the source of my dissonance because we need to dig into that layer because that's exactly what's happening So here's the thing if you took such a proposal speaking hypothetically right proposal. Yeah, Yes. If you took such a proposal, I'll tell you very quickly what what, what what has been happening and what would happen. You would simply get, if you were already in play, you would get shut down and a crony would come in, would be brought in to simulate doing the exact same thing that you wanted to do. Okay, but at then, that, then I, Justin,
2: I, Justin, then you are not solving the right problem. Then go uh-huh. and talk to that crony and beg him so be in business with you, to partner. Look, these are these are not. It's not ideal, right? Just remember are, all the things uh, I was
1: saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th-
2: th- these are the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It's not ideal, but if you are telling me, oh, they will shut me down, then one of their friends will go. Let's go and try and engage with the friend. Um, <laughs> if that doesn't work, then move to River State. Try it there. <clears throat> move to Abuja, move somewhere else move to Rwanda
0: just be the gazelle and keep running
2: there is somewhere, like, I mean I think this is the part that you know, I talk about Mo Ibrahim a lot you're right, and you would Mo Ibrahim not set up shop in Nigeria I mean, he set up shop in Uganda Um, I don't think you appreciate, we appreciate how poor Uganda is Uganda, yeah. Sierra Leone, DRC, uh, Congo, Brazzaville. I mean, these are not uh, these are not what I would say buoyant African countries, but that's where he set up shop. Places where typically place right. So the, the point is, um, now I don't know why he didn't set up shop in Nigeria, but maybe it was for some of these reasons we're discussing. Yep. Right? And so the point is I, I get it, it's stressful. It's probably the most stressful place. But, but when Nigeria now started saying, ah, we can make money from this, this uh, license thing, or oh, just allow people come and build a, a, build a, 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 a cell, cell tower. Do we not have a vibrant uh, system now? You know, So set up shop where you know you would have the least amount of, not no resistance, the least amount, and then the place where you have more resistance, they will begin to look at you. Yeah, you know, it's look, it's not easy. I know my if I if I let me let me say if I write as if my message is oh, what's wrong, just go and do this. I want to apologize. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm trying to communicate is I don't know of another way. I don't know mm. we've been begging the government, we've been praying, we've been fasting, we've been <laughs> spiritualizing i mean what have we not done and this is all i have left and this connects with how other prosperous countries have developed so a part of me believes until we really give this our effort i think we keep trying
1: okay thank you so much so at this point we'll take a little break on on the conversation so we do this segment called plug your stuff we'll bring in startups establish new some have new products somehow new features they're launching. They come in for about two minutes and they just tell us what they're doing. I, I felt I wanted you to be part of it to just to see what some of what we do and you know just get be part of the serious banter, the collective. So i uh, yep. have Dennis on. He's the name of his idea is or startup is called Northlin. And um, Dennis, you have two minutes real quick. Let's go.
4: My name is Dennis. I'm the co-founder of Northlin. Um, Northland Sales is built around retail merchants in Nigeria. We know that uh, SMEs constitute more than 71% of bi- all businesses in Nigeria. Okay, at, at Northland Sales, we are tackling retail payments from a different perspective. According to CIGAP reports, 6 out of 10 merchant addressable market, which is the third largest contributor to the Nigerian economy, has some clear set of pain points, which is one Managing customer um, relations, building loyalty, handling stock credits, managing inventory, access to credit, inability to, sale, to, to save, and the rest of them. So we build uh, Nuffling Sales, a retail accelerator that offers retail merchants solutions from inventory management, point of sale services, micro savings, micro credits as a bundled product. Life in. I think we're lost him.
1: Emphasize. Did, did you hear anything
2: you wanted to ask him? Yeah, I mean, I think it, in theory the idea sounds wonderful. It's essentially a comprehensive system for retailers, right? You help retailers. them manage inventory, you help them with you know collect money, save money, and so on. The the this is um, I mean, you are doing a lot. And you have to do a lot well. And you you, you have to integrate with other um, other players. So how are, how are you going to do that? How are you going to make money? Who is your competition likely going to be? You know, Jumia is doing something similar. I mean, you know, again, I don't like to knock people, but I want them to think through, you know, how is this? How much difference is this? Why would Why would I pick you? what's the struggle that I'm experiencing that would cause me to pick you, pick you over, the competitor. And so could, could he, for instance, focus on one of those things? You know, he talked about micro savings. I mean, do SMEs, do they really, do they care about saving? You know, again, the concept is wonderful.
1: But how is he going to get it done? Uh, thank you so much, Efosa. So, someone asked, Efosa, how can I innovate on designing a think tank in Nigeria that relies on funding in Nigeria only?
2: Prayer, <laughs> prayer, prayer, fasting. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I think the best way to do that is to find someone who believes in that vision and just ask them to to give you some seed funding. You know, now there may also be opportunities to go. Out international money, but typically those are a bit harder to get so uh, I'm seeing more and more step up uh, but we need more think tanks I mean there's so many think tanks in there's so many think tanks in in you know m- more prosperous countries
1: uh, so can you talk about
2: mobile money uh, yeah I mean mobile money is interesting but it doesn't excite me because I've asked this question multiple times. What is the purpose of mobile money if I don't have any
1: money? Exactly. True. Right? So, I mean... Similarly to saving, what, 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 if you don't have money, you can't save now.
2: Exactly, right? So, for me, mobile money, there's value in it, but that cannot be the strategy of a continent. So, to, to, to figure out this, you know, we, we all have phones now, so let's figure out how to how to move financial transactions to the phone. We're, we're just going to be poor people who are transacting over the phone. That's not going to fix healthcare That's not going to fix education. That's not going to fix governance. It's one solution, and it's not going to... It, the value is limited, right, based on, you know, how much money people have if you step back and think about the definition of infrastructure mobile money is really an infrastructure and mm-hmm. if i don't have a lot of value to put on the mobile money highway if you will then that highway the value of that highway is diminished
1: right? suboptimal
0: yeah yeah
1: so so, so someone asked do you have any markets creating a business for the house <laughs>
2: man i mean i have many but they
1: are, they are, they are going to be tough tough to implement give us something now give us give us some of the things you are thinking about do give, oh, away. Oh, I dare okay. give away
2: no no i i will, I will give you but some, some of them you might you <laughs> might start laughing so if we start looking at so i like to i like to talk about these things in in sectors right so let's talk let's talk about a couple of different sectors 100 million people lack access to professionally run pharmacies, frontline healthcare workers. Less than 5% of the population has access to health insurance. So let's, let's start thinking. What are ways we can provide those products and services, right? If we think about food, the average household spends over half their income on food, which essentially means we're really poor. It doesn't mean we're eating a lot. When you now start looking wow. poor, at poor. Uh, 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 more specific areas, beef consumption, kilograms per capita in uh, Nigeria, the global average is 6.4. In the U.S., it's more than three times that. So a ton of opportunity there. Chicken consumption, about one kilogram per capita, global average 14.2. When we even look at rice consumption, now we are about 37 uh, kilograms per capita, which is fairly high, but India is about 75. When you look wow. at our import bill, we are importing a lot, a lot of that, a lot of rice. I mean, you look at housing. Housing, of course, you need a lot of capital, but I think there are opportunities to innovate around housing in in uh, Nigeria and Africa in general. We don't need we don't need to spend ten years, twenty years building a house. When I get a little bit of money, I go and buy ten bags of cement, and then you know, it's a, it's a very Slow and inefficient process. So to to fix housing, right? You know, housing is less a housing problem; it's more a finance problem, right? And so you find that many of these things go back to finance. However, Mm. it's not just that we need money; it is what is that money going to to do? You know, if that money is targeted at people who live in the richest parts of town, serving people who can already afford, then that's a problem. The money has to figure out a way to develop a business model that targets the masses. And that, that really is where the innovation comes in. That is why we call it a market-creating innovation. It's not easy. It's difficult, but it's necessary.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, do remember to subscribe to our channels and follow our social media handles as well so that you can stay informed about subsequent episodes. And if you have any tips, suggestions, feedback, or inquiry, do send us a message on any of our handles and we will be in touch. See you on the next episode.